You can be seated. I love that. Well, amen. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Allison. Take your Bibles and turn with me to uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to visit these uh, verses again in Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses, uh, I believe it's Ephesians 6, verses uh, 1 through 1 through 4. You know, an interesting verse that you hear people quote a lot is out of the book of Proverbs when it comes to raising children. And uh, there are several in the book of Proverbs. One would be, and probably the most popular, is Proverbs 22.6. And Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let me read that again. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not, not, not depart from it. That's an interesting passage of Scripture. Some scholars talk about that when parents, some say it's saying that when parents understand their children and, and raise them based on how they're bent. That's one of the Hebrew words they people translate. They're saying that, God's Word's saying that if a parent can discover what a child is bent towards and will train them in that direction, then when the child is old, he will not depart from it. The problem with that is, is that ch children don't know where they're headed nor what they're bent for that's why they're called children and they need an adult to lead them there. So that's one of the fallacies about that passage. To me, I want you to think about this. And just a, it's a, to me, as, and the older I get, I'm not saying I'm right, but then there's scholars that take it this way. It's just a statement of fact. If you're raising your child as a hypocrite, if, if you're raising your child to be, now talking about the faith, but as a hypocrite or you're raising your child as half-hearted commitment, if you're raising your child as um, shallow, you, you are. You're raising your, if you're, whatever your child sees in you, it's, that's the way they're going to head. And, and I think that's what the writer of Proverbs is saying. You know, if, if you, Teach your children to be uncommitted to the Scriptures. As they grow up, guess what they'll be? More than likely, they'll be what? Uncommitted to the Scriptures. I, I take it the more, the more I read and study that passage, it's just, a, it's just a verse about the facts of how children are raised. Uh, children will mimic or follow the pattern established by them for them by, by their parents. And that's, that's confirming the importance of child rearing and, and what the Bible says are our responsibilities as an adult or as adults to, uh, 
I love what we say when we do parent-child dedication. Uh, one of the things we say is to teach faith living. You know, that, that a parent's responsibility and the church's parent primary is to teach their children about living by faith, faith living, living according to what the Bible says. And, and that's really what the Apostle Paul says. It's four short verses in, in Ephesians 6, but this is where Paul, this is what Paul is speaking about in these four verses. So your Bible's open to Ephesians. Did I say Ephesians to begin with? Did I say it? Good. To Ephesians, I'm having a really bad neck day. I'll just go ahead and tell you that. So I know you can pray for me, and I appreciate that. And some of you are going to pray that I don't make it and we finish early. But we'll, we'll move on. Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, before we read Ephesians 6, while I had asked Robbie to read the Ten Commandments, uh, and uh, he, he had to go to children's church, I guess. But what's so... If you read the Ten Commandments, several of those commandments are obviously related to the family. Because uh, there's the middle one, the, the fifth commandment. If it's the middle, it's the fifth one. And it's about what? Honor thy father and mother. And it says, so that your days may be long in the land. Now think about what that promise is. Because the children of Israel... Ha we're, we're fixing, fixing, don't you like it? God was leading them to the promised land, right? So you make a commitment and one of those things in the family is to honor your, honor, that word honor, put on a pedestal to consider of great value. You know, the, the most important treasure you have, so to speak, honor your father and your mother. And he says, so that your days may be long in the land. I want to show you something. Hold your finger at, at Ephesians 6. Go back to Exodus 20. I want to show you something else that, that oftentimes when you read, um, and we've gone through the book of Exodus it was several years ago. We went through Genesis and Exodus years ago. It's been many years, and uh, six or seven years ago. But I want you to go to Exodus chapter, really go to Exodus 21, and uh, it take me just a minute to, uh, to find it. Also, not only am I having neck issues, and not only did I have a, a, a bed rail fall on my head, so that's why I've got a scar on top of my head, because it happens in threes, everything happens in threes, okay? Also, my dog, well, today it's Diane's dog, <laughs> Lulu destroyed my new glasses, okay? So I'm blind as a bat again, so, but, but not the lenses, just the frames. It's not, it could be, could be worse. So, and, and it has been worse, but she didn't destroy the lenses this time. Oh, they're mangled. They, they look really good. They're mangled, that dog, anyway. <sighs> That's why our puppies, if you buy one, they're going to be expensive. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. 
Look at, um, she tore, she chewed my, my best pair, not best pair, that's not true. Most comfortable pair of dress shoes. They're really not dress shoes, dress casuals. Slip-ons for fat people. Slip them on at a time. They're, they're uh, sketchers. I know some of you guys were sketchers. But they were dress shoes, casual dress shoes. Not anymore. <sighs> well, let's stand for prayer. Look at, I'm, I'm in Exodus 21. Thinking about God, thinking about the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, don't commit adultery. Here's another one about marriage. Um, look at verse 15. Of course, don't commit murder. Do not kill. Do not steal. Covet. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Now, this is the law of God. This is the children of Israel. This is a theocracy where God rules. And it's the law. So, so obviously, punishment, the death sentence, that's not the same as murder. This is a judgment. Now, I'll be honest, you can read the Old Testament and you don't find any specific events where it describes this happening. But you know it happened, okay? But drop down uh, to verse 17. Whoever curses... I have known people curse their parents all the time I've known a few that has struck their parents before whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death now this is the law this isn't grace but do you think God was serious about honoring your father and your mother and the thing you have to think about is if God if, if God was going to make a great nation out of Abraham's family from Jacob into Israel and his children, where was the strength of the nation going to start? What was going to be the strength of that nation? And what was the strength of the nation? The family. So if you started out by having disrespectful and rebellious children in the home, you would not have a great nation. See what I'm saying? So, in the demise of our country, however you want to judge that, one of the causes of that would be the failure in the home. It's far-reaching, and God knows more than we do because He's sovereign and He's powerful, He's all-knowing, and so one thing we know for sure, God's serious about the household. Now obviously we're in the age of grace, so we don't promote execution. But this was God controlling, raising the nation that he now birthed. So he wanted 
children to respect and honor their parents. And uh, I mean, capital punishment was a consequence of disobedience. That's very serious. So, so God cares about... So, so in God's economy, the home is very, very important. Well, that hasn't changed. Now, because we're under grace and be, we don't execute children who do this because we're no longer under a theocracy, but yet God still cares for the house and the home, and it, and it really does matter. I was reading uh, this week about and again, I, I'm not attacking anybody, so don't... I have grandkids that do this. I had children that do, did this. I, so don't leave here and say, Brother Bryce is attacking me and my family. I, I'm not doing that, but let me give you an example. The average child who plays a sport, 6 to 12 years of age, this, this before teenage years, I read this week that on average they'll spend 11, a little over 11 hours a week participating, whether it's practice or game, getting ready for the game, after the game, 11 hours a week per sport on an average. The biggest one is baseball. You spend a little bit more time. Soccer's a little less. doesn't matter. It averages out to 11 hours a week. And that's good. Your, your kids need exercise. They, sports are good. Did it ourselves, right? That's awesome. But let me tell you something that's better. Raising your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's better. And, and I would dare say there's not anybody in here that has ever spent 11 hours in one week teaching their children God's Word. Ever. Ever. At home, in here, ever, including me. So, that's forgivable and it's understandable in the current culture that we live in, in life, being busy. But the point would be, do we really want to teach our children God's Word? Oh, we want them to play sports. We want them to go to ballet and play soccer and baseball and... By the way, the most expensive sport, you should be grateful for this, is ice hockey. It's $2,000 a year on an average for a child to play ice hockey up north. By the way, you'll spend $692 on average per sport for every child each year. 11 hours a week. Of course, the most expensive here in the south is travel ball. And those of you who have grandkids doing it or had children do it, it is very expensive. But my whole point is, and, and I'm for that, but what I'm for more than that is teaching your children God's Word and showing them and living with them under the authority of God's Word. How many times in our homes do we say, God's Word says this about what's going on. Now for me, I'm doing it to grandchildren. Then I can tell them, and what's great is they get to go home. I send them home. There's Griff, you know. Hey Griff, I send them back to your house. 
But that's what you say to them. You say, God's word says this is what you do. We, we did it yesterday. Uh, Solomon and, uh, was with us for a little while, Margaret Ann too, and, and in an event we said that. I had to say that to Solomon just to prove it. But I'm, I'm saying we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm not attacking you, and, but we'll, we'll make sure we have the money and the time for our kids to enjoy sports, and I'm for that. But if you're not teaching your children the Word of God and, and having the, the willingness that you have for them to succeed or excel in a sport, do you have that same desire? Do you long for your child to know a memory verse, to, to actually be convicted, knowing God's Word and making the application? And folks, you, you're their best teacher because they're you. They're a many you. And you're a sinner, so you know how to correct a sinner. God has corrected you up through childhood, youth, and adult. You've been where they are, so that's why God wants the parent to do this. And you're not correcting them as some God. You're correcting them as a forgiven sinner. It, it's, it's awesome to be able to do that. I mean, you're not, some of them, Sometimes we try to act as if we're high and mighty and, you know, we're on some pedestal and we don't do wrong. And that's how we talk to them sometimes. But we're, we should teach them as a forgiven sinner, teaching other boys and girls why they need a Savior and, and what God's Word says. Well, let's move. Let's read the Scriptures. I could stay there forever. But it's something to think about. Somebody has stolen our identity about being Christian parents. You're the, and I, a priesthood of the believer, men were priests, you know, women weren't priests, but the Bible calls all believers priests, were priests of the, the priesthood of the believer. Every believer is a priest in God's economy. Think of, think of the home, somebody, we're priests of, for our children. We help lead them to make sacrifices. We lead them to worship. We lead them to know God's word. That's what we do, and somebody's exchanged that. Somebody's robbed us of that. So you're the priest, mom and dad. You're the priest of your home, and somebody's altered it. They've stolen your identity. It's leaving us empty. Uh, well, here, here's, what, here's what God's Word says. Children, obey. Let's just stop there, Obey. Two words crammed together in the language. Paul did this all the time. There's several words in the Bible that don't appear anywhere but in the Bible or extra, you know, extra biblical books or commentaries or church fathers because you know, the idea so Paul would take two words, but it's the word under. It's the word under to get under something and the word here. So... When you think of being under, they're above. So a parent is above you. So the idea of obeying is to hear under their leadership. So children, and this is not a suggestion, by the way. This is imperative. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. 
and their children in another room. Sometimes you and I, as a grandparent or as a parent, there were times I didn't deserve to be obeyed. But it's not asking the children whether you are worthy to be obeyed. It's saying, obey. To hear, and if we don't teach our children to obey their parents, to hear under, to be submissive under authority, teaching them to submit to authority and to hear authority, they're going to have problems at school and when they go to work for somebody. If they're a rebel in the home, they're going to be a rebel. And God knows that. So it starts. And so children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So, so if your parents tell you to go, go uh, steal stuff off the shelf, that's not in the Lord, right? You understand? So, so honor your father and your mother. It's the fifth commandment, by the way. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Quoting right out of the book of Genesis, out of Exodus. Fathers, so children are going to obey and it come, you're going to honor your, your parents. You're going to put them, they're going to be a treasure to you. You're going to put them on a pedestal. Um, they're of great worth to you, uh, value. So you're gonna, children are going to obey and honor. And it says, uh, fathers, uh, do not. And it's interesting that you get later on in the Bible and you find out the, the Bible does mention that mamas, Mothers are going to be teaching their children more often. Um, both in Corinthians, Peter mentions this. But th when you're talking about these commands, he goes to the father. Father, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. And the idea there of not provoking them is being overbearing. Uh, Self-righteous and overbearing. You're, uh, you're, you're not leading as a servant. That's what happens. We've been taught, if you, look, if you, if you go up to verse 21 of chapter 5, it talks about submitting to one another out of reverence, out of reverence for Christ, that, that even as a parent, you, you lead them as a servant. You're not, you're not some potentate. You're not a dictator. You're not king. You're a servant. And God has placed you. And so fathers sometimes take that to mean that they have, you know, and, and they're not accountable to anybody. And, and they treat their children, you know, like a tool or something they own and it doesn't work that way. So there's a spirit. So... If you try to lead them as if you're their dictator, you're going to run, you're going to provoke. So do not provoke fathers. Doesn't have to tell mama. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Let me give you an example. I, I, my home life is just like yours. And, and when Jonathan, all the kids were at home, Diane and I snuck away. I mean, they, they knew where we were going. 
But all the kids, you know, they're on up there, um, 17, 18, I guess Jonathan would have been the youngest, so let's say he's 18. So me and Dan snuck, I went to a conference in Birmingham. It was a revival, and so rather than driving back every night and going back up, Diane and I snuck away for a couple of days, so we just stayed up there in a hotel. <clears throat> Make a long story short, Bonnie's not in here, Griffin, you may not remember that. While I was gone, Jonathan, and I know this has never happened to any of you, Jonathan snuck booze in my house. But it's his house too, you know, really. And he, he bought some beer and brought it into the house and him and Courtney drank it. Well, is that the end of the world? No. Now, it needed to be fixed, right? It needed to be confronted, right? I lost my mind. I kicked a hole in the door. I acted like a moron. Be, and it was wrong. It was wrong. But I lost my opportunity to teach an invaluable lesson to another man. He's not a boy then about honoring your father, you know, it just was not good. I, I provoked him to anger. I mean, it just wasn't right. And I lost the privilege of, te I lost the teaching moment, right? You've been there where you end up having to repent because of how you acted. They sinned and then I sinned. It didn't do absolutely any good. You know, I, I didn't have the, I did later, but right there would have been great to talk to him about Showing us, you know, it was they honor me as my house, honor us, mom and dad. We wouldn't drink; they shouldn't drink in our house. But I didn't do that because I act like a moron, idiot. So that's provoking your children to wrath, and you lose. So do not. So we'll move on. I'm tired of talking about that. For fathers, do not provoke your children to to anger. But then it says, "You with me? The, these are words that if we lived by them, we." you would be at such peace in your heart about being obedient to the Word of God. Bring them up. Um, if you look up at chapter 5, bring them up. That is the one word, but it's translated bring them up. But look at chapter 5 right above you, and it says, uh, look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes, talking about a husband loving his wife, God loving the church, and a husband love. nourish is the word. It's translated nourish. Well, the same word, is the same original Greek word is used, and it's translated bring them up. It, it, it just means in all facets in all facets of facets of life, you need to you need to nourish nourish them with faith. I mean, it's a faith thing. You, there, there's nothing about a child that they need to grow up on their own. They can't raise themselves. So it's talking about thoroughly nourishing every part of their life. So it's also used in the farming world. That same word was used in agriculture. Sowing and reaping and weeding and all. Bring them up. Bring them up. Bring them up. So we're going to nourish them. 
in the discipline. Uh, in Bible days, the word, the idea of preschool or small children, uh, what, a, in the, what a, a child needs, discipline. So bring them up uh, or nourish them. You could say nourish faith living. Uh, uh, discipline. I mean, this is biblical discipline. Uh, you know, foolishness. Um, the child, let me see if I wrote it down. Okay, folly. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Let me read that again. I was a, I was a pyromaniac when I was a kid. I loved to start fires. You may tell you what stopped me from building a fire anymore. The rod. I was scared to death of another beating and back with a belt. And it wasn't a beating, but yet it was. I set the lot next door on fire. They had to call the fire department. It was a scene. It was a scene. I was about six. It got ugly at my house. But I didn't burn that lot down anymore. And my dad didn't do it the right way. He cussed and, you know, whipped me and cussed some more. It wasn't the right way. But So foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. This is God's Word. A child is foolish. But the rod of discipline will drive it away. So we got to discipline. So that's... You come back to this word and it says discipline. Podia, you don't care about the word, but bring them up in the discipline. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Um, bring them up in the discipline and instruction. That, that word is just incredible. Instruction. It's one of my favorite Bible words. And the best for me, I mean, there's volumes written about this Greek word, you know, chapters and paragraphs about describing what this Greek word means. <clears throat> it, the best one I read, and this is my favorite, you've heard me use it before, the word can be translated frame the mind. So one of, you discipline them. Got to be consequences. But then you, you, you frame what says uh, instruction. You, you frame the mind of your child. You frame their minds to love and obey the Lord. So I love that, to frame the mind their thinking process. So this idea of biblical instruction, um, I wrote it down right here. It says, frame the mind for spiritual truth. You draw their attention and you say, here is... So, so in rather than provoking their children to wrath, we bring them up. Isn't that awesome? 
Children don't need to raise themselves. They don't need the TV, They don't need to learn morals from TV. They don't need to learn. Their main instructor is us. We're fathers and mothers. We're the priest, and I can say fathers and mothers because we're one flesh. We're the priest of the home. We want to nurture faith living, and that happens by bringing them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. That's what God has called us to do. Now, I'm out of time. Let me just read you a couple of these statistics. By the way, this, this, inf this implies that there's people married. You read this. It's, God's will is not for... Uh, God's will is not for a single parent home. That's God's will. I've been a single parent. Many of you have been single parents. Something falls between the cracks when you don't have help. So God's goal is for mom and dad to raise children. That we understand. But there's, there's tons of single parent homes that are doing all they can to raise godly children. And I admire them. It's tough. It's hard to do that. Um, 50% of the children that are born in America are born to a one-parent home. 50% don't have, normally they don't have a father. 50%. So as hard as it is, they're so, all the children, half the children being born don't even have two parents to try to do this. Even if they're believers, it's hard to do with, by yourself. I was reading where it says that almost 60% of very active Christians, now I'm going to have to finish with this, but see, this is the stuff. It's very active crowd. This is a Barna. I did a, a Barna statistic. This is recent. This is in 2022. And they're doing all these statistics, and I'll finish with this so you'll know. And I lie, I'm not lying this time. Gary, I'm really going to finish. He told me I did that seven times the other Sunday. He didn't call me a liar, but he did mention that I mentioned it seven times. But so, so these statistics was, were saying, so, so think 50% of the children are born to a single-parent home. That, that's bad. The Bible tells us to raise godly children. And so, so it was saying that, that there were, that active Christians, and I'm going to frame that in just a minute, but active Christians, that 60% of active Christians Choose a church primarily because of the children or, or the youth program. Okay? 60%. Technically, it's 58% in the Barna. So, so active Christians, over half, choose churches because of the children's and the youth program. Okay? There's a fallacy in that because those children and youth are going to get old and leave one day. But anyway, we'll move on. So... But then it said, then it qualified active. Of all those active, it's talking about million people, millions. 64 million of these active Christians go on an average of once a month. But they're choosing a church based on the children and the youth program but they're going once a month. On an average, once a month. 
That's two hours of study if they go to Sunday school for their child in a month. Two hours in a month. Can I ask you, can you raise godly children with the assistance of two hours at your church a month? There's no way. So then it makes you question, what does an active Christian mean? That's not my definition of an active Christian. And then he goes on to say, there's another group inside that that goes about six times a year. No kidding. And they, because they check, they check that spiritual, spiritual maturation and Christian growth, some sentence like that, is very, very important to me. They check that box. But oh, about a hundred million goes six times a year. Again, that's not biblical. Once every six, once a month, nor six times a year. None of that. And you're not going to raise godly children with those kind of statistics. Right here, when we get, we know this. When you read Ephesians five and six, we have the Spirit indwelling us. We're eternally secure, and, and God has called every one of us to submit to His Word. This is what, it's worth the battle because we need to raise godly children. I'm not raising children, I'm helping raise grandchildren sometimes. Our church, though, when we gather together in study and worship, we're supposed to be the ideal family. There's older men, younger men, older women. We're so when we're together, we're to promote faith living to all of our boys and girls and youth. But all this begins not in the church. The first place it begins is in the home. And we've got to decide that Jesus, the Bible, truth is, is more important than T-ball, slow pitch, soft. We've got to decide we're going to be just as disciplined about biblical things as we are about recreational things. Very important. Let's stand together. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of Christ. And we take every thought captive because we want to obey Jesus Christ. Amen. Mike, where are you, Mike? Will you dismiss us? No, other Mike, other Mike. Yeah, I'm sorry. There you go. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you'll bless us this week as we go out to the world. Thank you for allowing us to gather today in your house to praise your name and worship you. I pray you'll be with the men today as we gather for fellowship this afternoon. I pray you'll bless us, and I pray we'll speak your name and worship you, Lord. Please keep us safe and watch over us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.